Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us in. We're going to continue our study on the 12 gates of Nehemiah in our Roadmap to Reformation series. We've been talking about the Valley Gate. We hopefully can conclude the Valley Gate this week. I trust you have been tuning in to listen because I have been building and building and building and we keep on like adding some things and it would really do you good to just watch them consecutively. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, you can go back to our YouTube channel there, archived there, and you can watch any of them anytime you want uh, for free. There's also a audio portion of this if you'd like to listen to them in your car. There's an audio portion both for your iTunes, your podcast, and for the RSS feed on your Android device. Easiest way to do that is just go to my website and uh, in the upper right hand corner there are icons that will take you directly to that. If you subscribe to our YouTube page or even our podcast, you'll get updates when we add something. It's absolutely free and I believe it's worth your time. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, talking about Roadmap to Reformation, and if you've been following us, you know where we're at. We've probably shot something near 20 programs on it so far, but with the last four weeks, we've been talking about the Valley Gate. Hopefully, I can conclude the Valley Gate uh, today. Uh, once again, without too much review, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13 says, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Nehemiah is surveying the condition of the city before its restoration. He's looking at what the city looks like in the night season when it's been under Babylonian siege and destroyed by the Babylonians. The very first gate he comes to is the valley gate. Now, once again, I want to make this comparison because the gates in Revelation chapter 21 give you access into the city called Jerusalem. And I showed you how that Jerusalem means the city of peace. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, Hebrews 7. He's the king of Salem and by interpretation the king of righteousness. So it's righteousness and peace. Salem means peace. So you're either moving into the city through the gates, into the righteousness and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is the kingdom of God, or you are moving out. And if you're coming out and moving away from that, you are heading into the valley and out through the, the valley of the gate, the gate valley of the gate of the valley. And that valley gate leads to several valleys, but the main one we've been emphasizing, one of them has been, of course, the valley of Baca, which means weeping. The other is the valley of the shadow of death, which we talked about. But we're going to talk about the valley of Hinnom, where we get our Greek word Gehenna. So you're either coming in or you're going out. I don't know about you, but I would rather be blessed to come in. Blessed is he that has access to comes in through the gates, into the, into the city of God, that can have access to the tree of life. Because outside this city is the valley of Hinnom. It's the valley of weeping. It's the valley of, 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 of sorrow. It's the valley of the shadow of death. But I'd rather come up out of that valley and enter into the gates of pearl through his suffering and enter into his salvation and be redeemed from that. So when I'm talking about the valley of Hinnom here, there's some things we talked about the last week that uh, 
the prophets alluded to this valley of Hinnom because here was where the, uh, the god of Molech was worshipped, set up by Solomon, destroyed by King Josiah, but it's where they offered their children to the hot burning brass furnace of the god of Molech, and God was judging them by allowing the Babylonians to come and absolutely destroy the city, and it became known as the Valley of Slaughter. Jesus used that terminology when he began to talk to the Jews in his earth ministry, and he began to warn them that there was some Gehenna that was coming, a Valley of Slaughter was coming again if they did not repent. And you heard me talk about that last week, that that all occurred in A.D. 70, whenever the city was sieged by the Romans, was the site of the last battle that that was a picture of. And the old Jerusalem was destroyed, burned with fire. They cast the bodies over the wall into the valley of Hinnom, into the valley of Gehenna, where there was the fire was not quenched and the worm was not dying. It was a direct quote from what Isaiah prophesied about, but God said to them in Isaiah, it never came into my heart. In other words, that's not something I ever desired, is for you to cast your children into the fire to try to appease me. But the reality of it was, is they suffered the judgment of not coming into the city. In other words, there's some things that are a result of you walking away from God. If you return to me, he said in Haggai, Zechariah, I'll return to you. In other words, you can be headed for peace and for righteousness or joy, or you can be headed for shipwreck, or you can be headed for brokenness. The, the field that this was in was also called the potter's field. It is where all the broken vessels were cast. It's where all the trash was powdered, where the heaps of trash and rubbish went. It was uh, in the valley that was known as the Valley of Slaughter. Like I said, last week I think I covered pretty good how that Josephus quotes how they were cast into this valley of Hinnom and the great war that took place there that I believe you can do whatever you want to with it, but I believe was really uh, the fulfillment of the Battle of Armageddon that many people think are in, the, uh, uh, in, in our future, or is not in our future. It occurred during the end of the first age of the law, and uh, that's not in our future. Just the fact that that battle was fought with horses ought to tell you it was first century stuff. We would not fight battles with horses today where blood would flow to a horse's bridle. It was defining a war that you can read in the writings of Josephus, the war of the Jews and the sieges of Jerusalem where millions of people were slaughtered. Their temple was destroyed, their city was burnt, and God moved out of that temple and out of that city into a spiritual temple and into a spiritual city. Old Jerusalem passed, New Jerusalem came on the scene. Old temple passed, and New temple came on the scene. All of these are pictures of the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, and moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, there has to be a shift in our thinking. Now one of the things I want you to see is that is the story of uh, uh, Jeremiah 32, uh, God begins to speak. Let me. I'm going to go there and read just a few highlights. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. But Jeremiah, as prophecy said, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. So Jeremiah is prophesying during Babylonian occupation. Now remember, when Ezra and Nehemiah rebuild the city, and the temple, which is a picture of the greater fulfillment of the New Covenant New Jerusalem and the New Covenant City of God, that is during the reign of the Babylonians. And he's prophesying there, uh, for then the king of Babylon's army had besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up 
in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but he but shall be surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Uh, Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you will not succeed. And Jeremiah said the word of the Lord, Behold, the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, By my field, which is in Ananoth, and and, and Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy. Then Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Ananoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So he weighed out for him the price. Now let me skip down here and just get some highlights. He tells him, The reason you bought this, verse 15, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And then we go on down here and we find that he tells them that they're in that because they have, uh, you know, returned, they, uh, uh, they have uh, given, he said, I gave this land to you that was flung with milk and honey, but you did not obey my voice and you went down into these Babylon because of the siege of your rebellion. And verse number 25 says, And you have said to me, O Lord, buy the field for money and take witness. Yet the city has been given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God, the God of all flesh. There is, anything, is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans fought, of course, and they came and they burned it with fire. But it goes on to say, skip down to verse 34, but they shall set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now therefore says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city, it will be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword and by famine and by pestilence. But if you skip down again into verse now let me continue. He said, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries uh, where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the, for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing good, doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will over, I will rejoice over them good and will surely plant them in this land in all my heart and my soul. Now let me just tell you that he's telling Jeremiah, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take you captive. They're going to burn your city. Everything's going to be left desolate. But I want you to buy the potter's field because I'm going to redeem it. If you read in other places in Jeremiah, he talks about the reason he bought this field was because it was full of broken vessels that God could take and put it in the house of the potter, and that he could take these vessels and make it over again. The first thing I want to say to you in this segment is, God is able to take your broken life and your broken vessel, and He's able to make it over again because He purchased the field and the field of blood and the potter's field with the price of His blood. 
Now what I want you to see is that this was the potter's field, and he was talking about, first of all, them being carried away into captivity, but that they would return again. That's what was happening under Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. They were returning, and they came back into their city. But then he begins to hint of a greater fulfillment when he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Jesus came on the scene to offer us a new covenant, an everlasting covenant, a covenant that would redeem us or anyone willing to come in through the valley gate into the city of God, into the new covenant kingdom of God through their new birth. And outside the city would be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But what I want you to see is that he, they, that happened, first of all, historically. God kept His Word to them. He brought them back out of return after the Chaldeans, and, and they brought them back out of Babylon, and they're returning back to their city. They rebuild their temple. They rebuild their city physically. It is in this city and at that temple that Jesus shows up and begins to speak of a greater city and a greater temple, the temple of His body and the city, which is the new covenant house of God. But it's in this same text that he begins to hint some things, and so does Zechariah begins to mention some things also concerning this. And I'm going to read some stuff to you. Uh, let, me just, let me just get my notes back up here. But this valley of Hinnom is where, again, uh, uh, we learn that Josephus talked about a terrible war between the Jews and the Romans that took place there as a greater fulfillment even of what the Romans did, or I'm sorry, the Babylonians did. And it should have joggled their mind that they were, they were, when Jesus would talk about being cast into the hell of fire, it should have joggled their mind and said, listen, man, we need to realize that we don't have to go through this again. But they did it anyway and they found themselves cast out and the kingdom being destroyed and the I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread. But Jesus says to them, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door to the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through his name you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that He is the Great I Am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today. City being destroyed and all that goes with it, but I've got to get to this. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse... Let's just go over here to Matthew chapter 27 for a moment because this is really something that really caught my attention. Uh, verse 1 says, And morning, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put Him to death. And when they had bound Him, they led Him away, delivered Him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. 
And he threw down the, the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field. So we have Jesus now. The blood of Jesus is going to buy the potter's field through the price of blood, the place where you bury strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who priced, whom they gave of the children of Israel priced, and gave them the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So he's connecting this to Jeremiah chapter 32 and to other places where he instructed Jeremiah to buy this field that was the potter's field, that was the field of blood, and it was purchased by the thirty pieces of silver that Judas used to buy, to sell Jesus out. Now let me take you also into the book of Acts and show you that it's connected to, it's called the field Akodema, which is also called the field of blood, and this will connect it as well. In Acts chapter one, I believe it is. Let me see if I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. It says, "For he was." Uh, let me let me back up. It says, "This is verse number uh, sixteen, Acts chapter one." It says, "Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas." And I think that was in Psalm 109 that he spoke it concerning Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akodama, that is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and no man live in it, and let another take his office. Now I'm telling you that when Judas, the night before Jesus was crucified, betrayed him in fulfillment of the prophecies of what uh, Jeremiah had prophesied, and also in conjunction to what Zechariah had prophesied. Now let me, let me get you this in the book of Zechariah. Let me just find out, let me look back again in my notes and get you the text here, because I think it's important to see the scriptures. But this is a scripture that was absolutely quoted in the New Testament when they weighed out for him thirty pieces of silver. Zechariah chapter 11 verse 12. Now first of all he's talking about two sticks and breaking the covenant, the beautiful covenant. And he says to them in Zechariah, what will you give me to buy me out of this covenant? And he weighs out and he said unto them, if you think it good, give me my price, which was literally the price of a slave. And if not forbear, this is Zechariah chapter 11 verse 12. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver, and Jehovah said unto me, Cast it under the potter, a goodly price, that I was prized at them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver, and cast them to the potter in the house of Jehovah." So he took the price that bought him out of the old covenant, for thirty pieces of silver was the price, they weighed out for him the price of a slave, and it was literally breaking the, the beautiful covenant. Let me see if I can bring it up here in, in Zechariah 
I see if I can find it again, the whole context of it. I had that one printed out. But when he's talking in Zechariah, he talks about the, the beautiful covenant and uh, talks about smiting the sheep. And uh, here you go. This is verse 9. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two that it might break the covenant, which I made with all the, with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Now he's breaking this covenant with them because of the evil shepherds that have slaughtered the sheep and, uh, uh, you know, they're the evil shepherds that he tells them in John chapter 9, I'm the good shepherd. They're the evil shepherds. And he, they, but he goes on to talk about the covenant, and he said they, they, they broke the beautiful covenant. And, uh, the co and, and, and then he said to, to them, so it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said to him, if it's agreeable, give me my wages, if not refrain. So they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto them, throw through the potter's field that, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them into the house of the potter. Then I cut in two my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said to me, Next, take yourself an implement of a foolish shepherd, and I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that are stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd uh, who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered. His right eye shall be totally blinded. Jesus talked about the blind guides falling into the ditch. He's talking about them buying him out of the covenant, but with that he brought the 30 pieces of silver. This is what I'm after. They threw that into the, the money and said they bought with it the field of blood to bury strangers. And then Acts chapter 1 says that Judas hung himself and his bowels burst asunder. Here's what I think is incredible. It takes great pain to point out that Judas's bowels burst asunder. Now, I never thought about this before, but where, what did Judas have to eat the night before he hung himself? Here's the answer. He had lamb and the communion meal, bread and wine. What was in Judas was the bread that was, Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. And he didn't just give it to the other 11. He gave it to all of them, and all of them would betray him for the night was over, including Peter and Judas would deny him. What, what this says to me is, I don't care how bad your life has fallen to pieces. I don't care how many times you feel like you've betrayed the Lord. Jeremiah bought this field full of broken vessels because he's able to take those vessels and make them over again. I don't care how bad your life is broken. I also think it points to the fact that in a great house, the book of Acts says, there are some vessels that were fitted to destruction and some to honor. And he mentions Pharaoh by name, because under the old covenant, Pharaoh couldn't have got saved if he wanted to. But when Jesus went into hell and preached to the spirits in prison, the scripture said he preached to them who were sometime disobedient in the days before the flood. So I believe that what he's saying is he even has access to go back into the old covenant and make everything that they did not have access to under the old covenant retroactive and available back to them so that when Jesus left 
hell, he, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave opportunity to those who were waiting on salvation that was not yet available to them because the price of his blood had bought the potter's field. All the brokenness, all the broken vessels, all the vessels that were fitted to destruction have now had another opportunity. Now, I don't know the fullness of what all that can mean. I'm going to leave that to your speculation and not deal with it, especially on television. But I want to say to you simply this, nothing else. On this side of the grave, if you feel like you've been broken and shattered to pieces, the the blood that splattered all over the valley of Hinnom was enough to redeem all of your brokenness, including, I believe, including Judas. This is my body that was broken for you because he fulfilled the promise of God or the prophecy of God just like the rest of them did. Now what I'm simply saying is this, is that he paid the price. He bought the field. Jeremiah said he he bought the field because they were going to return and come back again, and that the, the price of the field was so cheap because they were going into captivity, but it would soon have great value. I think God can take our brokenness that's not full of value and bring it to great value. The last thing I want to say is that Judas, to me, pictures a religious spirit that thinks that hanging yourself is redemptive. It casts you into the place of suffering, almost like they cast their children into the mouth of the god Molech, thinking this God that we serve requires you to, to be thrown into the fire constantly and to crucify yourself. Listen, what Jesus tried to say to Judas is, this is my body that was broken for you. As a matter of fact, Corinthians talks about that, the, that, that if we eat and drink of the body and the blood unworthily, we drink, eat and drink damnation to our soul. And it talks about in that text, uh, I believe the son of perdition, which really, if Judas would have realized that the hanging of Jesus was his hanging. He would not have went out and hanged himself. The hanging of Jesus, if he would have discerned the Lord's body, he would not have ate and drank damnation to his soul. I think sometimes we've been made to believe that we've got to earn and purchase our own salvation. I came to tell you Jesus purchased it. He paid the price. His blood is enough. The price has been fully paid for your brokenness. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, if you're going through hell right now, if your life is broken and shattered and it's full of broken pottery, Jesus purchased that field when the blood spattered all over that field. Even if you're far off and strangers, it included the Gentiles and to those who are far off and to the strangers. He purchased it with the price of his blood, even when the bowels of Judas splattered all over the valley of Hinnom to redeem you. If you're in that place today, you can enter into the valley gate and have access through the gate of pearl, Jesus' sacrifice, into the peace, joy, righteousness of the Holy Spirit, where God will wipe away all tears from your eyes. Uh, Man, I believe that's powerful. We're just about out of time, but uh, let me just say very quickly that we do need your help to be able to keep this kind of a message on the air. As you can tell, this is probably not real popular to some people, yet it is becoming greatly popular. 
If you'd like to sow into, go to our website. It's the easiest way. You can give via credit card or debit card through our PayPal service. You can also sign up for a monthly debit there where you can give a monthly donation if you'd like. You could call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call. If not, leave a message. They will call you back. Or you can write a check or money order and send it to the address that will come on the screen. We do need your help, so help us today. Tune in again next week as we move on to the next gate, the Dung Gate. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.